This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Hopefully you're doing well. I'm Ray Harkins. I'm your host of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm doing this intro without my headphones and I feel naked. I feel like I'm floating out in space and uh, I'm not rooted to anything. And I'm, I'm still talking with my hands and I'm kind of gesticulating in ways that I don't normally do. So not like that matters to you. What matters to you is the guest on this show. And we have, whew, this is a doozy. This is uh, another person who's uh, ticked off my uh, my bucket list for people I wanted on the show, Chris Connolly, the vocalist, guitarist of Saves the Day. Saves the Day. Chris Conley. Fuck. I just love the fact that it's like, whatever. Two weeks ago, I had Mike Judge on. Last week, I had Anthony from Cult Leader. And then now I've got Chris from Saves the Day. This is what is so important about independent music. I don't care how you get into it or what music you actually listen to, as long as it's of that independent strain. And it could be, you know, totally, totally saccharine pop punk, or it could be some ridiculously heavy black metal or some version in between those two. And that's what I love about this. So anyways, I just get so worked up and excited. But I want to tell you about a very, 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 very good band called uh, Alistair Hennessy. So I came across these guys, I don't know, maybe about a year and a half or so ago. And this is just, I'm just making this connective tissue in regards to how amazing music is and all of these bonds that you get. So I was uh, helping out that record label, No Sleep Records, doing some consulting work and, you know, trying to sign some bands here and there and just helping out in general. And the record came across our desk and I listened to it and was like, this is really good and kind of talked to the guys. And, you know, it was one of those things where it was like they were talking to other labels and there's a bunch of stuff going on. But the guys were all really nice and I enjoyed what they did. But then, you know, didn't really give any thought past that just because they were kind of, you know, evaluating their options and seeing what they were going to do. Fast forward to maybe about three or four months ago, I was looking for some help in regards to some audio stuff, because I was having some issues with the podcast in regards to either volume levels and whatever. So I reached out to the general listening public, which is you find people and out of nowhere, this well not out of nowhere because I asked for it, but this email comes across my desk and this person is, is willing to help me. And he turns out to be a member of Alistair Hennessy. And I was like, wait a minute, this name sounds familiar. Anyways, this connective tissue came true. And I just love that because it's like people who are involved in independent music. And I honestly, I experience this on an almost weekly basis where I meet someone and then we have these common bonds, whether it was like shows we went to or whether it was like, oh yeah, actually I dealt with you a couple years ago when we did this thing. And I just love how beautiful it is when you stay involved, the world becomes a much smaller place. And it's beautiful because of that. But Alistair Hennessy, their new, new, new full length is called The House We Grew Up In. And I want to play you a song. The song's called Wanderlust, and here it goes.
So hopefully that gives you a nice vibe before the record's going. Please go to nosleeprecords.com and you'll be able to find a download of the record. You'll be able to listen to it to your heart's content and dive more into it. So thank you very much, Alistair Hennessy. You guys are great. So Chris Conley, what more can I say about this dude that hasn't been said? Because, uh, you know, he's done a million and one interviews and a lot of people have been interested in what he has going on for quite some time. So it's always a challenge when I have these people on the show who, you know, basically have been spoken to on almost every avenue possible, Uh, you know, on podcasts, obviously in print, uh, in video, everything else. And so I, I do my best to try to stuff as bunch of a bunch of that stuff in my head and then hopefully be able to get to a place that, uh, you know, ultimately they feel comfortable ex- not only expressing themselves, but expressing themselves in a slightly different context than, uh, you know, what they've done in the past. And personally, I think we accomplished that. Chris dives into a lot of the things that, uh, you know, affected his life in regards to his way of thinking, um, his sort of metaphysical interest, and uh, ultimately his very stoic philosophies on life where you're just really, truly, truly trying to live in the moment. So here's my discussion. I loved it. And I hope you do too. And I will talk to you after the episode is over. take you back to uh showcase theater in Corona, california in 1999 when you were on oh my tour. gosh yeah you were i remember tour. that show sure you were on tour with fast break and uh my local band got to open up for you we were called taken uh like a melodicish hardcore band not like i expect Whoa, you to remember that's sick so the uh i just remember it was one of those things where you know i think there was maybe about like 60 people there you know maybe <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, considering it was your first U.S. tour, and obviously, like getting out to the West Coast, I'm sure was was magical in certain respects. Um, did you? Was it weird, obviously, to be across the country and have people like knowing what you, who your band was already? It was just so exciting. I mean, looking back on all that, um, I sort of rarely reflect on it, but every time I do, I just feel so lucky, you know, because um, everything happened. Um, pretty quickly for us. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we had really, really cool, caring fans. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was just a really wild time. Right. It was, I mean, I, I was looking forward to that show just based on the fact that, you know, I was fans of what you and, uh, fast break were doing already, but it was, uh, it was interesting to see, they kind of, you know, even with the whatever, you know, 50 or 60 kids in attendance, like everybody was excited for both you guys and fast break like the uh, and, you know, that's just weird for obviously a band to be, you know, pre, sort of pre pre Internet to be able to obviously garnish some attention on the West Coast, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the number 60 to me um, at that point in time uh was enormous i mean we went on tour with bane you know fresh out of high school in 1998 we played the same room to all their fans and nobody knew who we were Mm -hmm. so you know a year later we had 60 people showing up i mean for us even people don't realize this but when we were touring on through being cool you know the that's about the average size of a crowd be like maybe between 50 and 100 people um because we started out as just a as you know a band that just played like basements and stuff Mm -hmm. so to have 60 people come was like 
um, a miracle. It's just awesome. Right. <laughs> totally. Well, especially too, because obviously most bands earmark Southern California as like, all right, once we get out to California, the shows will maybe start to get a little bit better because, you know, the Midwest, obviously, stereotypically maybe has some shows that are a little sparsely attended. So, you know, it's just it's funny, though, because um, honestly, like, I, that's not my memory at all. Like, even if I if I put myself back uh, and try to remember what the rooms look like, um technically speaking there weren't a lot of people there even you know in denver or wherever we were Mm -hmm. but uh even if you had eight people there that you know knew the words and were excited it was like it was crazy you know (laughs) because right you know two years before that we were just literally playing to our friends you know like five people standing around so i don't have any memory at all of shows being um you know as you say sparsely attended um, I, the only like emotional memory I have of that time is just ex- just being excited and just having fun and feeling really grateful and lucky. Yeah, no, that, I mean that's a very good point. You definitely it is weird when you first get out there and start to tour with whatever you're doing, whatever musical project you're doing, and then even to have you know, like you said, five to eight people attach themselves to you. It's like. Okay, how do you, it's awesome, right? You're like, how'd you how'd you find out about this? Who told? Yeah, you? it's like even one person, you know. It's like so, just so cool, right? I mean, it's still like that for me. Just you know, one fan at a time. They're, everybody's so important to us, right? Um, so, and that's how it was back then. Sure. As well, I mean, it was almost like surreal, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I think in part due to the fact that, uh, you know, obviously the band has progressed far past this point, like you said, in regards to, you know, just playing basement shows and stuff like that. But, you know, for all intent and purposes, like, you know, Saves the Day is a hardcore band. Like, obviously, a a, a pop-leaning uh, hardcore band, but the principles that you were built off of, you know, solely reside in that, like you said, that DIY basement mentality. Yeah, punk, punk and hardcore, for sure. Right. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, those shows were all just really sick hardcore shows, and uh, and it was rad. I mean, I remember shows even in New Jersey where it's, you know, it was like 18 people, but, um, you know, it was really an exciting time. Maybe even, you know, more exciting than once we start going and playing arenas or whatever with Green Day and stuff, which was thrilling uh, in a much different way. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really special to feel supported in that underground world. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially too, cause I, I think it's, it's one of those things where I notice obviously once you guys started to, uh, you know, have some momentum or, you know, buzz or whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it was really interesting because obviously the, uh, saves the day was a band that, you know, whatever your, your, uh, you know, hoodie wearing, uh, camo short wearing hardcore kid could <laughs> could like you guys like it was you know quote unquote yeah. accepted but then obviously you had a wider appeal because people who didn't have the context for that could you know listen to saves a day and enjoy it just because they were good songs um you know did you notice that like obviously once your 
your fan base started to you know evolve to where it is now did you notice those first kind of like oh like obviously here's a you know here are the hardcore kids in this corner and then here are the people who are finding out about us through you know different means and different bands that you toured with um was that an interesting juxtaposition as you started to grow like that you know i don't think i really noticed it everything happened uh as i said before quickly but at the same time gradually um and we just toured so relentlessly that um it did feel like uh you know we'd go through and play to five people and the next time it'd be 15 and the next time it'd be maybe 50 um it grow it grew so gradually that i didn't really notice a change it wasn't an overnight thing where all of a sudden we're playing to hundreds of people who are just like buying our cd at the mall um so i didn't i just didn't pick up on that stuff you know i'm like a pretty I, I would I call myself oblivious, but um, pretty simple dude. Like I'm just kind of enjoying life and uh, feeling psyched, you know. So um, the, I don't remember any division between you know feeling like we were playing to the underground kids and then right. you know mall mall people. Yeah, no, no, I don't, yeah, yeah, and like not from a friction standpoint, but just you know whatever. You- I didn't even notice like. Um, you know, even just objectively, right? <laughs> it just kind of happened slowly, right? You, and then even you know when we did start to you know pick up steam, the kids that would come see us were, you know, they all looked like us. You know, we all like wore thrift store clothes, and um, it certainly wasn't like uh, you know the Beverly Hills crowd coming to see us sure people people dressed in suits and dressed yeah it's in pretty f- i mean we're i think we appeal to the fringe element yes yes i w- <laughs> i dare say yeah. i would agree with you yeah uh, the uh, but you, you you know focusing on you as a person you always have struck me from e- either just obviously the way you've carried yourself on stage um and just the uh the general demeanor in which you obviously portray yourself like you said, you're very, uh, you know, you try to live, uh, obviously, as quote-unquote in the moment as one can. Um, you know, where where does that kind of, like, stem from? Because, obviously, it's pretty consistent, like, you as a human being. Like, it's not like all of a sudden uh, this was a big switch over the past couple of years. Because I think that's... Right. A lot of people do focus on that with you, where it's like, oh, like, since Chris moved to Northern California, he's like a total hippie chill dude. And, like, you've never struck me... Oh, no. You've never struck me yeah. at that, like, anything but that. Yeah, I've always been that that guy. Always been just kind of looking at the clouds and you know seeing the blue sky and just going, "Whoa!" <laughs> I've literally my entire life been just like in awe of the world around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just kind of part of my nature. I just grew up, you know, on this huge farm in New Jersey, beautiful farm with all these animals as an only child. And my folks would leave me alone a lot. They worked, they both worked a lot. And I would just be on this big farm all alone, walk into the woods and, you know, hang out by a little pond or, you know, skip stones and stuff. And uh, life just seemed really magical. I was able to um, explore on my own and meet the world all by myself as a little boy in the woods, literally. Mm Mm-hmm. So the woods and and nature is really intensely magical. And so I was just surrounded by that presence and I didn't, I never felt alone. Um, And so very, very early on, you know, my mind was sort of wide awake and um, 
like I just really fell in love with life without knowing that's what was happening. It just felt very warm and um, happy. Um, so, and then you know, I've developed uh, deeper la- layers of um, my ability to be present with life um, due to uh, having to. You learn to live with my own psyche, you know, as you get older and then you meet like people, right? (laughs) People are really hard to deal with because they're so mean sometimes. And that, that really shook me straight away. When I started going to school, I felt just completely nervous, like, like a total wreck because I couldn't, I did just, just didn't understand why people weren't just like really nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, fast forward, like I'm, you know, I'm a young adult and you got all these like echoing words in your head of like things people have said or done that really mess with your head. Um, and then, uh, I had to learn how to, you know, my anxiety or my like sort of, um, my learned self-loathing through being teased and whatnot had become so painful and overwhelming. Um, you know, my, the band eventually just like forced me to, to deal with that and face those, uh, those voices that were other people's criticisms. Um, and through that and, uh, like learning, um, how to deeply, um, meditate and, remain with the actual experience of life as opposed to these whispers and uh imagine imagination based um sort of fear-based thought patterns um i was able to really understand how much of that uh whirlwind negative tumultuous energy in my mind was literally just in my mind and because once you remove yourself from the negative situation which creates the echo in your head or the emotion uh it's no longer there it's in you now so through meditation and uh, you know learning how to go deeper into what was actually in my in my psyche um, I was really able to, and I think, I'm so thankful this happened. I was really able to see quite quickly um, that I was um, more or less making things up in my head. You know, the person says something mean or or whatever, uh, and then that moment's over, and then any lingering um, memory of that is. Uh, is inside of your mind, literally. I mean, it's not happening anymore. So thank goodness I was able to see that very, very quickly, and I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I am thinking that. I am literally thinking that bad thought. It's me thinking it. (laughs) You know, it's not happening anymore. Right, right. So that was really, really cool. I'm so psyched that happened because... I call it for myself mental jujitsu because I just, I got so good at just, um, being vigilant and watching those thoughts as they would arise and knowing instantly that it was, 
uh, a mental fabrication. It was a created thought. It was not real. Sure. And I was instantly able to just go back to my surroundings or my feel my, you know, my breathing and blah, 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 all this boring hippie stuff. But um, that's when I really, really became present and calm. Sure. And uh, that, I'm so glad that happened. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a tough, I mean, you walking me through that process, I really appreciate because that definitely is something that is uh, difficult, obviously, for most, most people to do, you know, at any age, let alone the age in which you have all of these conflicting emotions when you're entering high school. And like you said, you know, you first start to realize like, hey, I guess like my my body isn't that cool to these other people or, you know, the things that I choose to do, all this other stuff. So yeah, who you are, even. Excuse me, pardon the interruption, but this is worth your time, I promise. So most of us have to, uh, you know, look nice from time to time or look nice in sort of an active sense where it's like, you know, either you're like you're playing golf, tennis, like you're doing some sport where it's like, okay, you're not just going to toss on a t-shirt. It's like you need to look respectable Um, or even if it's just like a nice dinner out. Let me provide you the solution for you. Cricket shirts. Cricket sent me this shirt. It's incredible. It's the perfect mix of like old school style and modern design. So you're talking about people like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer. Like these are some legit golfers, dudes that, you know, are, are timeless essentially. And this shirt is super, super soft. It's 100% certified organic cotton and oh, not too baggy, not too skinny. It's like, you know, you put it on, you're just like, oh, this is, this fits. This actually fits. And the collar, it's amazing because, you know, most of those collars that you wear, just the after one wash it's like oh this is terrible you know it's like it falls down in the back like it just looks like uh you know you don't know what you're doing <laughs> so cricket solves all those problems and like i said I, I wore this when i played golf maybe a couple weeks ago and uh no one compliments me on my clothes but they did on this round in particular they're like oh, it was a nice shirt and i'm like yeah yeah no big deal you know i i, I know how to dress <laughs> so please it's 20% off of your first purchase. So go to cricketshirts.com backslash words and enter promo code words at checkout. So cricket, C-R-I-Q-U-E-T, shirts.com backslash words, or not backslash, let's just say slash, right? How about that? So cricketshirts.com slash words and enter the promo code words at checkout. And like I said, you'll get 20% off. You'll look good. People will be like, whoa, this you, you got your life in order, don't you? And cricket shirts will be the solution for that. Now, I would say, though, that it's exceedingly easy to do. Interesting. The problem is you just have to stay with your those thoughts. You can't get rid of them. They're not going to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing is you have to stay with them. And that's why I'm so glad I learned this. Um, you know, I was about 24 or so when I really started having to pay attention to that stuff. And, I mean instantly I realized that um, it was my mind and I was in control and I could just stay present and watch it and easily determine what was true and what was not. It's so easy. Just watch your thought. It's all in your head. The whole, the whole entire thing is literally inside your mind. It's actually inside your mind. It is actually not happening. Right. Um, And so if you just stay with that, you know, and don't squirm your way out of it. Just and, and you, I started to name those thoughts. You know, oh, I'm thinking this right now. I'm thinking that. I'm feeling this. Um, and it was so easy. It was so easy to unravel the knot. It's almost ridiculous that we spend so much time afraid. 
you know, unless you're in like physical danger, um, there's nothing to worry about. Right. <laughs> it's all, it's all you, you churn, you know, churning on some, you know, some strange feeling just because certain things in life doesn't, don't feel good, but we don't know how to sit with those feelings and soothe ourselves and just breathe and, you know, give yourself a hug on the inside. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's really easy. It's yeah. great. It's a miracle. Oh, it, yeah, it definitely is. Especially, I mean, I, I do think you obviously have to arrive at that on your own terms. Like a lot of people obviously chase after that and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, falter at the practices or whatever, but the, yeah, I mean, there's nowhere to, yeah, there's nothing to get to cause it's already there. Right. There's, <laughs> it's already, you got to start with what's going on Sure. cause there's no such thing as, um, you know, some other outside experience. It's all right now, right here within you. Definitely. But anyway, yeah, blah, no, blah, 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 no, yada, yada, yada. No, 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 Chris, that's perfect. Say. Cause that's honestly, <laughs> that's a, uh, like I said, I appreciate you walking through the mental process of that. Cause that's a, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to people. And that's obviously why people are, are, are gravitated towards you obviously in the music you create is because it evokes those sort of, uh, you know, not only emotions, but then, uh, the, sort of the nature in which we all reside in. So I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. The, um, something that I obviously find interesting when, when a person like yourself obviously has, uh, you know, essentially grown up with your music, you know, like obviously you can trace the lineage of, of what you've done musically and watch the evolutions and each iteration of saves a day in regards to, you know, you growing up as a human, then like you said, you know, when you, when you have an awakening, you know, not an awakening, but uh, a recognition of how to cope with these thoughts that you're having, you know, when you're 24, like, I'm sure like, do you, do you look at these distinct, uh, you know, records is obviously, uh, you know, timepieces for what you were feeling. Um, they absolutely are. It's kind of astonishing to me because it's certainly not planned out. You know, I just write from, you know, from, uh, from my heart all the time. I'm just, you know, coming from a, a place of honesty all the time. And I just do it for me. You know, it's, I love music so much. I love writing so much. So each album becomes, uh, like you said, a, like a time capsule. And, um, and thankfully I was so honest the whole time that, you know, when I, when we play those songs, like when I, that I wrote when I was 17, um, the emotions are still so real. It's really cool. And I can reflect on them now having grown through those chapters and, uh, even knowing, you know, that seven years later I'm going to have <laughs> pretty dark we gone through some pretty dark stuff um you know it's it's just a neat um documentation of the chapters of my life i really appreciate that and then you know the music i was writing when i was 24 can seem pretty dark you know i wrote the record sound the alarm that's the angriest saves the day record mm-hmm. and uh the most tortured for sure um but you know Seven years after that, uh, you know, we're putting out, I think, Daybreak, um, which is where it all comes together. And I figure out, oh, oh my gosh, I totally understand why I became so completely screwed up in my head. Right. <laughs> it all makes com- completely perfect sense. Um, so it's neat. Yeah. So I can look all the way back to the songs I was writing in high school and then, you know, the songs I'm writing today. And uh, it does become uh, a pretty cool story. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that obviously people that that decide to pay attention to that lineage will obviously be rewarded from that. And obviously, the people that you know, because there's there's obviously this this very divisive line in the sand that people be like, oh yeah, I, I stopped caring about saves a day in two thousand five or something, you know, where it's like they have this, uh, like I said, this definitive line in the sand. Um, but you know, if people actually uh, you know did not only their homework, but obviously paid attention to the, the records uh, past whatever line in their mind that they've created. They do see, like you said, those, those, those snapshots and time capsules of who you are as a human being. Yeah. And I mean, just to address whatever criticism, um, I personally don't give a shit. <laughs> um, and also the truth about saves a day is, as I said before, we appeal to a fringe audience and we were never, um, ever like the the biggest thing in town, you know. Um, the first album we made was totally written off at the time, and then the second one, you know, people said, "Oh, you slowed down." <laughs> you, you know, you said you right. wouldn't. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, oh, your voice changed, and so it's just basically. I uh, I learned very very early on, actually instantly that um just like people could be unkind you know at, in in the hallways uh people would be unkind everywhere so i just kind of always knew that but it's not as if it doesn't take away the um the sort of discomfort or the pain or the hurt you know hurt feelings right um because people can be cruel um but also it's like well let me hear your album right let me hear your voice. Play me, play me a C chord, buddy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally. You're like I can turn. I can turn. How about you get up on stage? You know, let's see right. what you got. Right. Let's, Show me what you got. How about you be vulnerable in front of people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Good luck. Right. Enjoy. Uh, and because you know of your, uh, you know who you are as a person. Um, you know, usually there's obviously one or two people in a band that kind of, you know, uh, thrust upon the, the business role, you know, whether it's like booking shows or obviously, you know, self-managing the band or whatever the case may be, um, in different iterations. Um, you've never struck me as obviously like this, this business, uh, minded person. I could be completely wrong, but I'm just kind of, you know, Oh, you're absolutely right. (laughs) So did you, so were you always kind of the, the, the person in saves the day that obviously was like, well, um, I guess this seems like an appropriate business decision. Smart people who I trust are telling me this and you kind of, you know, go, uh, I don't mean to say go along the ride like you don't have a voice within the context, but, you know, uh, just kind of that that business sense about you. Yeah, I just feel really lucky to be able to do what I love. And I love writing songs. I love playing music. Um, I love to go on tour. And um, that whenever there's an opportunity that arises that I don't feel good about, I say, I don't want to do that. Um, but aside from that, I'm typically pretty psyched to do whatever comes up. Um, and then other, either, either other guys in the band or over the years as we established, you know, management and, um, you know, sort of started to build a bit of an infrastructure where we could have, as you say, people that we trust, um, to make certain judgment calls for us. Um, then it became, really really easy to put my head back in the clouds and just dream away and that's the way i like it right <laughs> no it's cool because obviously i know a lot of people 
in regards to creating art and then obviously have the confluence of art and business colliding how there's a struggle there because obviously you're like well I make money off of playing music, but then I should never let the business influence the art. And, you know, obviously you, Oh yeah. I would never, I never could, which was awesome. I'm really thankful. It's a double edged sword because, you know, I watch a lot of my friends sort of crack the code and suddenly they have a platinum album and a huge house and (laughs) all that stuff. And I'm just like, uh, doing my thing, making records and not trying to win the game. Um, and I'm definitely proud of that, but it was never part of a plan. It's just who I am. Right. Did you ever, uh, like obviously going through high school and, you know, towards the tail end of, of high school is obviously when saves the day started to become, you know, more of a real thing and you recording your record and stuff like that. Uh, but did you ever have any inkling of, uh, you know, any other paths that you were trying to go on in regards to like, Oh, well, I'm going to go to college and have a career. Cause obviously both, both your parents were lawyers, correct? Or what did they do? judges judges? That's right. So yeah, did you have any other paths in your head beyond, uh, obviously once the music bug bit you? No, you know what? I just don't think about the future. Right. <laughs> um, I really don't like my brain. It's kind of awesome, but, uh, my brain just sits still and, um, and I just like stay with what's fun right now or if there's difficulties and challenges, you know, I'm working on that. But uh, I never once thought, um, I don't even think more than a, an hour. I wouldn't even say I think even 10 minutes into the future. I just don't. I never have. Um, when I was a little, little kid, I wanted to be a football player. Nice. Um, nice. But then I wound up uh, pretty darn small. You know, I'm like, a, people meet me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're this like sort of small guy i'm like a miniature person (laughs) um yeah so i there's no football and um and that that was fine but it's not like i ever felt bummed um pretty early on i started playing music uh i started playing cello when i was six years old in the orchestra at school Mm -hmm. and uh that was cool it was just something i did you know, as like an extracurricular, it was cool. Um, but I never was passionate about that. But then I got into classic rock. I got, I was obsessed with Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean like a total freak. And I think, um, their music has a lot of classical, um, elements. And so my young brain, just kind of understood what they were doing, but it was loud and cool. And Jimmy Page is just so awesome. Right. So once I realized, oh my gosh, I want to play, I want to make my own music instead of just playing the orchestra. Uh, and my dad got me a classical guitar. I taught myself Stairway to Heaven. And then that was just the most amazing experience ever i can't even call it an experience i don't know how to describe this but as soon as i got that guitar in my hands it was just something clicked yeah and i never thought into the future but gosh i logged ten thousand hours on that guitar it's just the only thing i wanted to do i just loved it so much Mm -hmm. so then and i never thought of having a band or anything i just really loved playing guitar 
never once crossed my mind to play with other people not a single time sure but there were these other kids at school that would get together on the weekends and play and uh one of them was brian newman who was you know uh became the first drummer of saves the day he's actually the only other original member aside from me mm-hmm. um he he asked me to come over and jam with him and his friend justin and uh as i said i never would have thought to do that but once i got over there and we started playing together gosh was that so much fun right and then every single weekend is all we could do and i got an electric guitar and pedals and an amp and turned it up loud and just i was from day one writing and as soon as i got that guitar i was trying to write riffs like jimmy page and so i just loved writing i had no idea that was in me and it wasn't a conscious thought it just came out of nowhere this total obsession and so those guys realized wow chris writes songs um so then we started playing my songs because at first they wanted to just do like black sabbath so we'd be sitting there playing iron man i'm like cool but this is boring (laughs) You know, I want to. I want. I love writing songs. So then we started to just focus on all these songs I was writing, and I'd write a thousand songs. I mean, literally, it's an endless stream for me, which is just so much fun. And the songs were evolving very quickly. You know, and then bands like Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana start coming out, and you know, we're getting louder. And uh, pretty early on, you know, we realized gosh this is really cool we've got so many songs we should our drummer brian you know thought we should be playing shows right it was all brian was the all the only reason that i ever wound up on a stage sure well because it didn't like you said you're 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 really just focused on the you know the five minutes in front of you you know you're literally focusing on the steps it's really like now i mean there's no time in my (laughs) mind there really it just doesn't of course, I'll think, oh, I have to pick up my daughter at school, yeah, right? right. But then I set a thousand alarms so I don't have to have that thought every 10 seconds. <laughs> it doesn't you know, and then I go back to just being right here, right now. And it's really an amazing relief, you know, to just be sitting still in your, in your mind. Right. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I was always just working on little songs and writing lyrics and then you know, I got into this awesome poetry class in high school and junior year. We were allowed to do electives. I picked a poetry class and it was the greatest thing ever. I didn't realize that I would like writing lyrics either, but I got obsessed with that too. And so things for me, I'm just such a lucky guy because things for me just sort of came along at the right time. You know, Brian asked me to come play. And then I get in this cool poetry class and then I get, you know, I got nominated to go to this thing called the Governor's School in New Jersey, which was an incredible experience. So it was a summer long thing at the College of New Jersey being taught by serious professional actual writers and um, college uh, professors. Um and that was really cool. So I started to be able to hone my craft, you know, and really learn what it is to be a creative writer. And uh, I just had a knack for it. So all this stuff just kind of came along. 
Um, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a confluence of events that obviously led you. Yeah, to it really do that. was, and yeah, and I, I just feel so grateful. You know, just there's so many elements in my life that have been just incredibly blessed. Sure. So I feel lucky. You should. <laughs> the um, and obviously, like I mean, you you have a, you're a person with opinions. Um, and obviously, the uh, you know lyrical content and everything that saves the day has existed in uh, obviously is is you know self reflecting and everything of that nature. Uh, but obviously, you got drawn initially to you know whatever subculture and punk and hardcore and you know i'm sure some of the uh you know revolutionary ideas that contained within whether it's you know straight edge vegetarianism veganism all that sort of stuff did you did you like find yourself keying into any of that or was that all just kind of like that's really cool that doesn't describe me exactly but that's really cool yeah i thought it was all really awesome um but I didn't give it much thought at all. You know, I was interested in Blake Schwarzenbach's lyrics. Right. You know, I'd listen to Jawbreaker and just go, oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I became obsessed. It was my first lyrical obsession. Very few other lyricists honestly say that much at all. They really don't. And it's just the same song one after another without scra- uh, scratching the surface and going deep. But uh, Blake Schwarzenbach is a, a real poet, and so and his songs just hit me. And then uh, Ari Katz from Lifetime, uh, he's an amazing, amazing lyricist, and those lyrics just hit me. And uh, Morrissey um, has these really <laughs> incredibly literate lyrics. I mean, it's like it's like reading. Um, you know, classic poetry. And uh, I just really gravitate towards what I gravitate without any thought process, you know? Yeah, totally. I'm, a, I'm an exceedingly simple dude. So I, I definitely noticed the, um, the underground lifestyle and all the ideals and everything. And I thought that that was great. You know, it's definitely about equality and you know making the world a better place and i reflected on it later as i realized how fortunate we were to be supported by that kind of world and nurtured and you know to have grown up around that stuff um and even certain you know spiritual elements like the krishna of course uh presence in hardcore is sort of bizarre but it was there and it started you know, sparking thoughts in our minds when we were, you know, young. Brian was very, very much interested in this sort of activism, um, you know, or, you know, worldly conscious, conscious um, state of mind, uh, much more so than me. I was just kind of interested in music, but in hindsight, I'm very, very glad that, uh, you know, we got to be influenced by that world. All right, gentlemen, we all go through this problem. And ever since we started wearing underwear, you know what I'm talking about. So bunching, pinching, sagging, constant adjusting. You don't need that anymore. My life has been changed by this company and I want yours to be changed too. So Tommy John, they sent me a pair of underwear and I was like, okay, let's check this out. Let's see, let's see what the, what all the hype's about. And holy moly, I put them on and I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to wear another pair of underwear ever again. So it is ultra light, breathable fabric. The legs never ride up. The waistband never rolls down. 
And I have tried so many pairs of different underwear from different companies. And let me tell you, this is the real deal. So their underwear is is backed, backed by a guarantee that you will love it or it's free. So please, what I want you to do is go to TommyJohn.com now for 20% off your first order and use the code 100 words. That's the number 100WORDS. Please use that. It's 20% off. And like I said, you'll put on the underwear. Maybe you'll try a pair of socks. Maybe you'll try an undershirt because I've tried all those too. And it's unbelievable. Please just don't tell anybody because you can buy this stuff for yourself. Actually, you know what? Tell everybody. Who am I kidding? Tell everybody and they get 20% off your first order using the code 100 words. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Please go buy it now on with the show. You know, obviously, as like you mentioned earlier, where, you know, there was a lot of attention paid to the band and, you know, the trajectory uh, started to become pretty serious as far as a lot of people paying attention to you and record labels and all this kind of, you know, maelstrom that circles around bands when you do get ahead of steam. Um, Obviously, because of your nature and you living in the moment and you, you know, basically just being kind of, you know, perpetually excited about the things that are being put in front of you. was I presume that some of it was obviously a struggle finding comfort in the fact that um, you know this thing was growing obviously larger than you ever imagined, um, or was it simply you just turned with inside of yourself and obviously focused on that aspect of your life? It was both. It was really tough when more people start like focusing on what you're doing because you get you know people like to complain about stuff and. Um, you know, it's much harder to have somebody offer, you know, praise. <laughs> um, people are just critical. Human, you know, human beings are critical. And uh, I just didn't care for it when people would offer their opinions. You know, it's nice when someone says, that's great. But I would certainly never in a million years go up to somebody and say what I don't like about them or what they're doing. It's not my business, unless it's my business. But it's certainly not my business. Um and I just, so I just didn't like, I didn't like that attention at all. I liked being able to, um, disappear into a room with a guitar and a notebook and write a song. And, you know, it only became uncomfortable when more people started to listen. Um, you know, because with as many people that do like you, there are people that don't. And, uh, that's, I wasn't interested in that at all. (laughs) I just don't care for, I don't know why people, um, have to share those feelings at all. You know, I really just really don't understand. So then I had, then I did, you know, retreat, you know, and just, for a, a while it was pretty, you know it was a bit of a crisis that's when that was around 24 when it became so bad that i had to you know do something about it where i was just i didn't want i'd be on tour and i'd be in my bunk on the bus literally all day until it was time to go on stage and i'd be up there staring at a huge you know black room because in those like you know, hockey arenas, you can't see anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd just be up there just wishing that it would end, you know, so I could go back to the bunk and so that I didn't, nobody could see me or talk to me. You know, I didn't want to hear it. 
and uh, and that was really bad time. So that's when I had to, you know, get get deep, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, figure out that um, the lingering echoes of the th- bad things people would say or do were still trapped in my head and i had so i had to get to the bottom of that right right so that wound up being a really important you know pivotal moment in my life but painful oh absolutely yeah yeah that's was it was it uh kind of at the like you recognize this within yourself but did you uh was that was that the behest of anybody else kind of you know your friends management somebody kind of being like hey chris like i think we need to like address this head on uh, or was it yeah like, the band okay the band they were just like dude you're you're not doing well this is really bad right um and uh and they said we're not going to do the band anymore unless you get help so they found me this amazing Buddhist, uh, therapist. Um, and I started going to see him and he, that was just so incredibly important. That's how I learned meditation mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how to stay present with my feelings and thoughts. And so that wound up being the best thing that ever happened, but I was ticked off at the time cause I was just full of, full of anger and sadness. And I just thought, you guys, you guys suck. And, uh, and it wasn't a good time in the band either. I mean, we've had 21 people come and go in this group aside from me. And that's, that's an indication of, uh, (laughs) discomfort. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people would, I wouldn't want to get rid of anybody or people wouldn't want to leave if it was hunky dory, but uh, I was, you know, angry at the dudes in the band and angry at, you know, people that would say unkind things. Right. And there was a lot of anger there once I got into therapy that was there, you know, from when I was like four, three, four or five years old, you know, from the first time I had to go be around people and you get start getting teased. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really it wasn't the thing I realized was it wasn't anger because underneath the anger was just the sadness that was never held by anybody or myself or, you know, people just say they try to make it better. You know, your parents or people that care about you, nobody really helps you, uh, like soothe yourself or figure out, you know, what's going on. Right. So thankfully, (laughs) I was able to, um, learn how to do all that. Yeah. And then I untangled all that over the course of about seven years and I wrote three albums worth of music, uh, to, you know, document the stages of that. Right. So, and that was, that was cool. It was really a crazy time. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I I think it's really, um, I think the, the, the thread that I wanted to pull on and what you're saying right there, I think the interesting thing is that, yeah, you obviously people around you uh, notice that you you know you may be off or something is wrong, but then obviously uh, it's difficult to you know no one in a span of ten minutes is going to be able to like oh so you're dealing with issues that you've had for twenty plus years you know like that's almost next to impossible. And like you said, people are just trying to you know try to help you feel better in that particular moment as opposed because they want to feel better right exactly because it's uncomfortable to sit around that yep. feeling and that stew of feelings. So yeah. it's, it's difficult. I'm sure you obviously being a father, I'm sure 
that there's elements of, uh, you know, you raising your child of, uh, you know, trying to basically give her some sort of coping me- mechanism tool. Oh, it's so she's so much better off than I was. I mean, cause it's, <laughs> that's amazing. You just, I realized so much, um, over the course of those years and now, you know, she's at school and there, there are people, uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, what's what do you need? This is a rune by the way from save today. Nice. Okay, are the keys in there? Shoot. Sorry, dog. No problem. Yeah, but um, here it is. Sorry. No worries. Um, she's at school, you know, going through all this stuff. I think what one thing that's great about these days, and I don't know if people realize this if they don't have kids in school, is that the whole bullying <laughs> um, part of our childhood is definitely a lot different nowadays there's a lot more awareness of being uh, respectful kind and caring toward uh, one another and people are taught now to you know value themselves and value others and i think that's so fantastic and if i had grown up in the environment she's growing up in it would have been a different story but because i learned so much uh, i can help her in those small moments where even you know if she's you know she's starting to become you know conscious of the grades she's getting in school and you know so she might have you know some concern about this or that and i'm able to help her you know come back to recognize that that's just a a thought in your head and it's because you know we care about you know uh having a secure uh comfortable life and uh and i can help her you know, see that those thoughts are just thoughts. And so it's awesome. And so I think kids can learn that so, so quickly before their head gets stuffed full of a bunch of baggage. Um, kids are good about knowing the truth, you know? And so she's, she's amazing. I mean, uh, the mental jujitsu, right? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, a few last things I want to hit on before I let you go. Um, one I find interesting, just like a super interesting piece of a catalog that I, of your catalog that I think is, uh, really indicative of the time in general was obviously the, uh, you know, immigrant son EP. Like when that thing, like there could not be more, I'm sure lower expectations of like, Oh, we'll just put this thing out. And then like, that's cool. Like that's all I really need to do. Uh, but the fact that this, you know, we're whatever, 15 years after the fact this has been released and people obviously still, you know, whatever, it still fetches a pretty penny on eBay and all that sort of stuff. But the fact that people like, not only do you still occasionally uh, pull, you know, songs from that EP out in different varieties, Oh, absolutely. And I just find it so, and like it was really indicative of that time because obviously that's when people started to, uh, you know, when I say people, like the music listening uh, population at large started to realize like, oh, like I, I do like acoustic based music. Like this is okay. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I presume that it still just kind of blows your mind that uh, so many people kind of like took to it. And then obviously the weird um, circumstances that arise after the fact that it's like, oh, I expected this thing to sell a hundred copies at the most. And then all of a sudden we're like selling out pressings of this and <laughs> all this, all this, you know, unwieldiness that comes with that. That was so cool because, uh, at that time we were strictly playing hardcore shows right? and, uh, hardcore fans just absolutely ate it up. They absolutely loved it. It was really, really cool. You know, we'd come out and play, you know, the, an intro to our set, which was like, 
a Cro-Mags riff or agnostic front or something and then go right into an acoustic song and it would be the same kind of finger pointing and you know the entire crowd singing along and going nuts as if it were a hardcore song um that was just so awesome and i think uh we didn't realize um just how special that was at the time but looking back and having that come out between can't slow down and through being cool um it's also it also acts as a perfect bridge right between those hardcore songs and then the sort of melodic rock that we evolved into mm-hmm. and also um it's cool because can't slow down is a complete anomaly for us um because you know brian and i were playing music together starting when i was 13 can't slow down comes out when we're 17 um or we recorded it when we were 17 and in those four years between starting to play together and making our first record we you know we had 10 different names for the band and went through so many different styles and sounds the same way saves the day evolves on every single record uh, our music was evolving from day one so we started off with you know black sabbath riffs or trying to be led zeppelin mm-hmm. and then morphed into a, the smashing pumpkin style indie rock with elements of bands like sugar right <laughs> uh you know and nirvana or stuntable pilots and then you know through that i mean smashing pumpkins has a lot of really cool elements of acoustic music and we were never trying to be anything so you know our songs had a lot of different elements and um and we got into sunny day real estate and i was completely obsessed with them and they have a bit of an eclectic sound and so our music was always a little bit all over the place so you know, I got really deeply into the melodic hardcore thing after I went through a huge punk phase. You know, we were like a real serious Rancid-style, Green Day-style punk band or Jawbreaker-style punk band after we were like a Sunny Day real estate band. And then uh, I got into Gorilla Biscuits, Dag Nasty, and Lifetime and got obsessed with that started writing faster songs and that's so that's what can't slow down is we i wrote songs like that for about a year and that was it and then i was back to just the eclectic weird stuff and uh you know listening to like Joni mitchell and whatnot right and so the uh the acoustic record uh or ep rather for me um, connects the dots going back before can't slow down you know we were just writing songs not in any particular style um so the whole um trajectory of our early evolution is interesting for me i mean i can remember back to the beginning of it so right i'm glad you brought that up because that is a really special release i think it, 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 it i haven't is. reflected on that in a while <laughs> no i'm glad because i just I, I found it so interesting just because it's like it's very rare where obviously bands have um you know essentially i mean you didn't view this at the time but like obviously in your 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 songwriting and, and music releasing career, you know, that's just a little small EP. It's like this little thing, but then obviously yeah. it, the, the songs have lived on and yeah, I just find it so interesting. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously with the, um, 
you know the the idea that you are obviously a very simple dude. Like you, you live in Chico, right? Is that where or yeah. general area? So like obviously Chico, like most people would be like, well, first of all, where is that? And second of all, like why does a person have a desire to move to Chico? Like you know those. <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, it's like most people are just like. Oh yeah, like you know, I'll I'll go live in L.A. or New York City or like obviously right, sort of yeah, music centralized hub. But you know, obviously that's very reflective of your personality. Um, and you've never obviously bought into the stereotype of just like, oh yeah, well I just you know I'm gonna make a bunch of money off my music and then I'm gonna live in some big house and that sort of all those you know rock star promises. Um, obviously, it's a very deliberate decision to do what you've done as far as just like hunker down, build a studio, you know, have have a life with your family. Um, you know, do you, I, I, like, do people obviously give you feedback as far as like, you know, your friends that have, you know, kind of in your peers that have surrounded you where it's just like, oh, wow, it's cool what you've done. I wish I would have done that rather than pursue the, you know, the, the, the like you said, play the game earlier. Um, you know, how does that kind of, gosh, I don't think any of them would want to like switch careers cause they've all made a bunch of money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think they're very, very happy going on their way to the bank, uh, you know. Um, whether or not they wish they could write songs like Saves the Day is something separate, but to be an artist the way I am is not to be a commercial artist. You know, I really don't... I have a great distaste for, quote-unquote, the game. I'm just... I'm literally not even playing it. Um, I'm literally just writing songs and it's fun. I think it's what makes it a special. Um, but, uh, it's not like good for business. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're like, it's not, we do amazing. I can't, you know, it's not as if we're some tiny little band, like clearly we're uh, a fantastic band that does really well. Right. Um, but it's definitely, you know, closer to underground music still, uh, you know, and it never went main- mainstream. You know, we never even had half of a gold record, mm-hmm. you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool when I go to my friend's houses, they have gold or platinum records. I'm like, that is so awesome. <laughs> you know? Totally, totally. That, so that's awesome. And it's, but it's not as if I would want that career. I just, right. as I said, like, it's, I have a great distaste for trying to f- crack the code and figure out what do people want and blah, blah, blah. And what, how should we look on the cover of this thing? Or right. I just, it's just, I'm allergic to it. Right. Uh, I mean, on, on that, on that same notion, like obviously, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, when the, uh, people expressed a distaste for the way your vocals change from record to record. And uh, I mean, that, could be on an almost universal complaint on every saves the day record as you put out a new one because people are just like oh man this one's even like whinier or whatever you know i'm just obviously playing dev- you know the uh <laughs> the, the the critic there um do, is it one of those things where uh you know your evolution obviously as a vocalist uh is is simply off of like this is what i feel uh, obviously matches the record and what i'm feeling currently um i mean not like yeah i'm not thinking at all i'm literally just singing from like yeah a place of feeling mm-hmm. i mean that's totally it i'm just feeling so i'm not like a crooner you know i certainly can't <laughs> pretend to be some amazing singer i mean i'm just a punk kid you know so, and the only reason I wound up singing is because we, Brian and I tried to get a singer 
when we first started the band because like I didn't imagine myself as some singer but I would write the melodies and the words and we'd have this other guy sing and played like a handful of shows like that um but it was just really awkward every time I'd show him a new song he'd be like well how do you want me to approach this part you want me to sing with kind of distortion on my voice kind of gravelly and it was just like awkward and lame and so I just wound up getting on the mic because it was easier you know you didn't have to explain all this stuff and then I wound up really liking it because you could um, because I'm you know doing this from an emotional place you could really I found that the singing is a direct link between your feelings and your instrument you know it's harder to get it out on a guitar so then I realized that, you know, the connection between the words having power and emotion and the feeling that you could actually generate through your voice um, was pretty cathartic for me. And so I just really loved getting it out, singing it. it just felt good to push it out. So more of just a, you know, just kind of open up my mouth and see what happens kind of guy. Right. Uh, and I, you know, part of me having to, um, learn a little bit of technique over the years is because, you know, the, the melodies evolved, you know, as I evolved as a songwriter, you can start to, I'd start to hear, you know, pretty intricate melodies in the back of my mind. And when the melody started to have a lot more movement, uh, you got to figure out how to nail those notes. So really the evolution of my voice was just purely functional and, um, and really just, uh, always has been, um, heartfelt and not from my head. Right. Yeah. It so is, it isn't, a and, you know, people and like, I, we make these records and we're so psyched on them. We put them out and then somebody says something and then that's when I start thinking, you know, when right. somebody says something, I think, well, geez, I had no idea <laughs> people said my voice changed. I'm like, I had no idea right, that right. I sounded different. I'm just still feeling the same. It's still just Chris. Yeah. So it's been it's been hella bizarre, dude, getting like thrust into, you know, a semi public life. Right. You know, it's just weird as hell because uh I don't do it for people's comments. Yeah. You know, I'm just right. like having so much fun. Right, right. <laughs> Um, you, uh, last thing, and I promise I'll let you go was the, um, you mentioned obviously earlier, like, you know, you went to the, uh, the, the Buddhist therapist and obviously, uh, you know, there are, um, you know, many different strains of religion that get, uh, you know, infiltrated within the context of not only our lives, but obviously independent music, like you mentioned, Hare Krishna, and, you know, you get exposed to a lot of these different ideas. Um, you know, did you obviously find yourself being a religious person as you kind of moved on through this? Um, or is that something you, you solely just kind of, uh, you know, I guess keep private for lack of a better term? I certainly wouldn't say religious at all. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm like just living in life, um, in the in the miracle of existence just completely in awe of it as i said earlier i'm just like oh my gosh and life has been so good to me so i'm just so grateful you know i'm blown away by its beauty and how strange it is and i constantly just feel lucky and you know you look at the stars and you think what is going on or that big bright moon. Uh, I mean, life itself to me is already 
um, immaculate, you know? Right. It is the thing that religion was designed to discuss, but it's already that, you know? It's already that. Right. I don't have to go anywhere for anybody to tell me how amazing the experience of life is. It is right there all the time. Right. Um, but my parents being judges, uh, you know, I was raised with more of, uh, you know, a sense of right and wrong, but not because any book tells you that, um, you know, their beliefs are about, uh, how do we live together in society and you know, what does it mean to be, a you know, a good member of, you know, the human family? You know, you can, so I was raised with practical morality. Um, never went to church. Uh, go to, maybe Easter Sunday. You know, my folks would go to church, uh, and that was it. You know, I like the stained glass. Um, the rest of it, like, just never made any sense to me. I swear, <laughs> until much later, as I developed, uh, you know, a bit of. Um, a bit more of an introspective aspect to my relationship with life where, as I say, I'm just in awe of it. As I got older, I start to, you know, think more philosophically, what is going on? This is wild. Um, you know, then, uh, you know, my early twenties, um, I was lucky. I had this great teacher that picked up on that sense of awe and she would give me the most amazing books and um, they would be from every religion, you know, every single one. She would have these amazing mystical books. And, you know, whether it was Confucius or Buddha or the secret teachings of Jesus, um, that the uh, religious uh, words um, began to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I understood, oh, I saw the um, metaphorical truth. Um, these things were trying to express the inexpressible. When I just say I have a sense of awe uh, and an, a question of what is going on, that's really all religion is trying to answer anyway. Um, the morality in it, in my opinion, is the same as the morality in a courtroom. It's, you know, you can't do this and that. Because you can't, right? You know, you can't kill someone because you can't, right? You just can't, you know, right? Um, and uh, I don't, uh, I wouldn't say that my my sense of what's happening in life in the world has has changed because of um, my awareness now of all these different faiths and creeds and whatever. Um, but my understanding of people has changed for sure. I'm still just in love with life and looking at the stars. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I think that's very important to obviously look at everything, um, you know, through a positive lens. Because you know, if you're if you're residing in a space that obviously comes with a lot of baggage, um, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and also nihilism is disturbing to me, and it's disgusting. Um, if life is just some nauseating experience, uh, what's that all about? Right. 
<laughs> right. There's, there's there's too like you said. There's there's literally too much to be stoked on to not understand how how or to understand how a person can obviously um you know l- look at anything and be like oh I, well, whatever that's not that impressive. Yeah, I just feel so bad for those people, but also um, there is so much pain and misery, and, and there, you know you look at the world and you just see that there are these exploding stars and uh endless time um and you wonder what is this all about um and i get it you know i get the sense of like cosmic depression i definitely understand i've been there Mm -hmm. i have so been there just thinking what is the point of all this um but thankfully you know i'm an an absolute optimist, uh, without having to try, I just really love life so much. And so that natural tendency has carried me through the really tough times. You know, I just have a fundamental feeling of just being completely blown away by the existence of the universe and everything under the sun. Totally. Totally. Well, Chris, I honestly can't thank you enough. This has been really fun for me. I hope in some respects it was uh, enjoyable for you. And totally, I, man. I love I love doing the deep talks. Yeah, you do. I, I know. And that's it's why, fun. That's why I was looking forward to this because I was like, yeah, this cool. Is, this isn't going to be Mr. Soundbite, so we're uh, we're <laughs> we're in it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, it was really fun. I really appreciate it. There we go. There was Chris Conley, and um, that, what more can I say? How sweet of a dude is he? Just literally living in the moment has to set a million alarms for himself and i just love that so please check out saves today if you haven't like i don't even know why i'm telling you that you need to do this because if you already hadn't like mid through the conversation or you haven't heard of saves a day in general let's do some research let's let's go on the internet let's uh let's dive into their records right but um yeah thank you very much for their publicist rich who helped set this up good dude backed hard and thank you very much for Chris for spending his time with me. And, uh, you know, I, I could tell he was fully present, as, as was I. <laughs> uh, the show Music, as always, is provided by Lowercase Noises. You can find him on Bandcamp or anywhere else you deem worthy of listening to music, which, you know, is pretty much everywhere. So, uh, yeah, find him and you'll be able to listen to his music because it's beautiful. And then visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. Email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, next week is a, another awesome guest because uh, basically we, came best, we became best friends over this conversation. Him and I sort of travel in the same circles, but uh, yeah, Matt Mixon. He is the vocalist for, uh, you know, seminal, legendary hardcore band, uh, Seven Angels, Seven Plagues. Uh, he's also a filmmaker, and he put together a really, really compelling documentary of the band Misery Signals um, that I think anybody that's ever gone to shows in general will be able to really, really identify with. So... That is next week, and uh, please be safe, everybody, because it's crazy out there right now. The election's right around the corner, so uh, vote, right? If you don't vote, you're a dum-dum. That's all I'm going to say about you. So, anyways, oh, someone's texting me. Yeah. <laughs> Until next week, be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.